How are you guys doing? Good. All right, so we started our series on James a couple weeks back, and we have already seen in chapter one that James, he doesn't hold back. He doesn't hold back his punches, and as we look into chapter two, the hits just come stronger. James started off with somewhat a pastoral way of addressing the church in its persecution and suffering. Almost like, I understand, but press in. Press in because the gospel of Jesus is good and therefore we could do good works. To listen, to see what God has for you, to remember his salvation for us, and then go and serve those that are needy. Especially, what, what did you say? The widows and orphans, those that are marginalized. The lowest group, nobody to take care of, those that are overlooked. Go serve them. If we place this against our current culture and what we're going through, having, going through a pandemic, hopefully coming out of it. But what the pandemic has brought us and showed us is it brought out some of these deep-rooted issues in our society, in our culture, and in our hearts. What was affected globally is a reflection of who we are, even if we're not willing to admit to it. What the pandemic has brought out is a nasty culture of division, where race is pitted against race, class is pitted against class, special interest group against special interest groups, all on our own selfishness and our own positions. It's an endless game. And God has placed the church in the center of all of it. Not in a good way, but in the center of all of it. And that includes five stones. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ and Christians, and the church is where the world and heaven intersect, and we are part of that, what are we supposed to do with it? So this is what we're going to look into today in chapter 2. It's fun, right? But let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you that you have given us your grace. We thank you for you giving us your son that we could sit here today and just be your church. So Father God, as we look into the topic of partiality, of favoritism, of discrimination, Lord, we just pray that your spirit comes and covers our church. That you speak to our hearts and you challenge our position and our posture and how we see these things. So Lord, may your spirit come. May it fall in this place as we read into your word. Lord, may your word become life. May your word become our compass in how we live and how we are to operate. So as we dig in, Lord, may you just give us your spirit now. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we live in a culture where our eyes have been opened up. It's funny because in 2019, every church, every pastor was talking about 2020, the year of vision, the year of clarity. 2020 is going to be this awesome year because it's like 2020 vision for us to see clearly. But I don't think what we went through is what everybody had in mind. When we asked to see clearly, God gave us a pandemic, and that pandemic put the pressure on people to get outside of their 
daily routines, to shake up what we're used to and what we're comfortable with, to disrupt our regular and personal norm, and it forced us to all behave and act differently. What this discomfort brought out is, what, is that we realize what is actually important to us. When certain things that we feel entitled to are taken away, all of a sudden it becomes something to covet and something to fight for. Then we start to fight for these things. It begins to divide us. When George Floyd was attacked and murdered, it brought to light the injustice towards the black community that was been forged in American history of slavery, but also brought to light the systems that are in place, not just in America, but around the world, where there's a resemblance of that system in some manner. From the Asian community in North America, started, the Asian community started to be attacked from the rhetoric of the China virus, and violence towards that community skyrocketed. Race issues, which people didn't think existed anymore, started to creep back into our culture, and we began to hold on to some of those old prejudices and stereotypes, and new stereotypes actually began to creep in as well, with all the Karen and Kevin movements that are being exposed. As the pandemic settled into year two, with no real end coming, and the mandate vaccines start to come, we tried to get a handle on the pandemic cause it caused yet more prejudice in our, in our society and our culture, the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. To wear a mask or not to wear a mask, to have our freedom of choice from the freedom of, of exerting our own will in a countrywide convoy. Over the past two years, we are just constantly reminded of the things that divide us more than the things that unite us. Jesus was born into a similar culture. It was a culture of division, and Jesus refused to keep the perverse rules of the religious prejudice of the Pharisees. He broke those rules in every way. He responded to women and children, to the sick, to the poor, to even the people that were called immoral. That's what Jesus focused on against the culture of the Pharisees. Jesus would not keep the rules of that prejudice. So as a church and as followers of Jesus, we're called to do the same thing. But if we were honest, and if I were honest with myself, deep down in our values, in our beliefs, in every, sin, in every sinner, there's partiality. There's favoritism, there is prejudice, and there's discrimination. And James can't help that as he's thinking about Christianity and the church and who we are to address this thing that is so deeply contradictory to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James 2, and we're going to read through this. It says this, My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes come into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in and if you pay it, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothes and say you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man you stand over there or sit down at my feet have you not then made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts listen my beloved brother 
Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name in which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he says, do not commit adultery. Also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What James is addressing here in the, these, these verses is the idea of partiality, of favoritism, of discriminating, of holding on to prejudice. As James uses this illustration of the poor and the rich, this isn't to make rich people feel bad, but it's simply to re- reveal to us that most of us have ideas in our head in who we are more par- partial to. He gives us this picture of a host, of a, of a rich man and a poor man coming in and naturally showing favor to the rich man. We see this theme echoed in, in, in Hollywood in the movie, I mean, this may date me, Pretty Woman. Julia Roberts, who plays an escort, goes into a very high-end clothing store and gets no service and gets turned away from that service only to go other, to other places to shop. And she comes back to that store, donned in the most elegant dresses. And all of a sudden, that same salesperson comes up to her and is like, how can I help you? And she's like, well, I came in the other day and you refused to help me. That's partiality. That's favoritism. That is discrimination. That is prejudice. And this is what James is is addressing. It's not that God has given you his grace to make your kingdom work, but God has given you his grace to invite you into another kingdom. God changes the rules in this game, and rather than my life being directed by what I want and what I feel and what I need, I'm now called to a life where the central motivation of my existence is that I would live, think, speak, act, and decide, and choose in a way that I am called to. That my motivation is that God gave up everything for me, that my motivation is how Jesus lived, to not be divided, to not discriminate, but to serve those that are in the rest of the world discriminates. That we're called to serve those that are being discriminated. James presents us with this devastating gospel argument against prejudice in our Christian life. And he does that and unpacks it to reveal the heart behind prejudice. The heart behind partiality. To be honest with you, I had a very hard time in preparing this message because I feel like I needed to constantly walk around landmines. 
But one thing I ask of you today as we look into the scripture, I ask that you open up your heart to what the Spirit has to say, to what scripture has to say. Don't sit there and think, well, I, I don't think this speaks to me because I don't see myself as a person that holds on to prejudice. Or don't even say, I'm so glad so-and-so is listening to this message because they need to hear it. I want you guys to let the passage be a mirror and receive the counsel and the conviction that are written here. Because God's given us the courage to face our sin through the grace of Jesus. That you don't have to look at yourself with shame as you uncover these things. But that you could look at yourself and confess that Jesus is Lord. That he's covered my sin. So that we could be, so can we be honest today? Can we be honest today in, 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 in looking at this scripture? In preparing this message, I realize I'm no stranger to prejudice myself. I'm no stranger to favoritism or partiality, and alongside you, I confess these things. So let's do this together as a church. Like I said, I was preparing this message, and my list in this area just continued to grow. And as I was thinking about what are areas that I show prejudice, I thought, you know what, I should ask Steph. Because my wife, one that is full of wisdom and love and kindness, would never see any prejudice in me, right? So I went to her, I said, Steph, what is my number one prejudice? And she gave it all of one second of thought and said... I thought she would think about it a little longer, but no. She actually listed a couple things, and I was just like, oh my goodness. He said, she said, your top one, I would say, would be people who don't recognize their privilege. Which is so true, especially in this season. It gets me very worked up to a place where I begin to unfriend friends on my social media because of what I felt that they were giving a toxic message. But now looking at it, I realized that I had justified my behavior with that only to create more division within the church. So yes, I fall into that, the same sin. So James says in, in verse 1, he says this, he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now you see, James is very careful in the title that he uses for the Lord Jesus Christ. What does he call him? He calls him the Lord of glory. Prejudice is all about glory. Prejudice is all about the glory that rules in your heart. As a human being made in the image of God, we are hardwired for glory. You don't live with your own instincts. Your heart runs after some kind of glory, and there are only two kinds of glories in this world that you can live for. One is the shadow glories that are created by the world, or you could be living for the glory that is truly glory, which is the glory of God. Now think about what prejudice is about. Prejudice is about the glory of appearance. It's the glory of wealth. It's the glory of position, the glory of possession, the glory of power, the glory of gender, the glory of race. And to the degree that my heart is ruled more by the worldly glories rather than the glory of God, there will always be prejudice in our hearts. Prejudice will always reveal what is important in your heart. It is much more about what is inside of you than what is outside of you. 
the way that you view people is more dictated by the rules of your heart than dictated by those the by dictated by those who those people actually are. We often don't want to think about that. We argue inside ourselves for the legitimacy of the separation and divisions that we give ourselves to. But those separations, those divisions, those acts of rejections and unkindness and lack of compassion reveals what's actually in our hearts. As I face my own struggles in this area, I have to at least ask the question, perhaps God doesn't rule my heart in the way that I think he does. Maybe there is still in me a glory war that's being taken over my heart. And sometimes I get it right, and sometimes I get it very wrong. James introduces us to this culture of the gospel of Jesus that is different. If we look at the world through the lens of the world, you have no Lord, you have no Christ, you have no eternity. So if you have no system of truth and all you have is a material position and material possession, then prejudice actually makes sense. But it doesn't make sense when there is the Lord of glory who has claimed our hearts. So James illustrates to us in this, from chapter two, uh, verses two to four, about this physical and material thing of a rich man and a poor man, and how the host shows partiality and gives favor to, to the rich man. And he treats them differently. Now ask yourself this question, would you ever do that? Let's have a moment of honesty here. I'm not asking you to raise hands. I'm not asking you to do anything. Just look within your hearts. What would you be thinking if somebody walked into this church at 10.30, completely late, marches down this aisle, and they come in full face of tattoos, piercings all over their face? What would you think? What would you think if... A man came in here at the same time wearing a dress. What would you think if someone came in here completely decked out in high-end brand name clothing with labels all over them? What would you be thinking? What would you be thinking if there was a man that was coming off the street completely smelly, tattered clothing and sits down beside you completely reeking this entire room? What would you be thinking? If there was a man that came in wearing nothing but a prison outfit, what would you think? What would be coursing through your mind? What would your hearts be filled with? Would it be filled with love? Or would you make a quick judgment based on what your eyes can see? What kind of person makes you uncomfortable? What kind of person makes you feel unprotected on the streets? Is your heart embracing the culture of the gospel in this? If we are ever going to be a light in the city, 
We have to address this. We have to accept Christ's call to a new and better way. And I think that means for Five Stones Church, it starts with confession and repentance. Because although in many ways in our church, this is a very multicultural, multi-class congregation. But wouldn't you recognize with me that we are not yet free of this? We're not free of this struggle. We're not free of what James is addressing here. And James says it very clearly that when you live that way and respond to people in those kind of bases, then you have made distinctions with evil thoughts. That evil is in the eye of a, that this evil is in the eyes of God, awesome grace and awesome love. If we look at verse 5 here, it says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. This doesn't just get glory wrong. Prejudice forgets the work of the gospel in our own life. Why is it that we are accepted as Christians? Why? Is it because of what we have, what we do, how we behave? No. We are accepted because we are forgiven of the power of our position, the beauty of our appearance, the magnitude of our wealth. That every person who comes to Christ comes absolutely poor. That we come with nothing, nothing to bring before the Lord. Nothing to hold our hands, nothing to bring to Christ to somehow gain his favor. We come naked, poor, and we have one plea, and that is his blood of salvation, and it is his grace. So how could it ever be that this message would become an occasion for pride? How could it be that this message ever become a place for division? How could this message ever become an occasion for prejudice? How could this message be a message of anything but his glorious love, his glorious grace to those who are absolutely poor? We come with nothing, and hear this, you stand with nothing before Christ. So there's nothing that you have that God covets. Nothing that you have that will earn you a higher place. Verse 6 goes on, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name in which you are called? So James, I hear, is actually talking about the current events that are happening during that time. As the church is scattered in Palestine, the, the, the Christians are being brought to court by the rich. And they're, they're, they're bringing, be, being, being brought to court um, because of, 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 of who they are. And th- what happened to them is that the poor people were dragged into court and they were subjugated to even more. And, and it was this broken economy that was happening. So James is addressing that. He's just like, are not people being prejudiced against you for who you are, Right? That the rich is being prejudiced against you. It's making you actually in a worse off condition than you actually first started in. 
And James is saying, look, you actually know what this feels like. You know what this is about. Yet you guys are doing it yourself. You see prejudice and you will always lead me to moments that are functionally and philosophically inconsistent because I will want favor with someone because of their power, because of their position, because of their appearance, because of their social class or whatever, maybe without regard for the fact that the person stands against everything that is precious to me. What kind of prejudice do you have in your hearts? Do you tend to side with people or make friends with people that could help you get ahead? That could help you move forward in your career, in your finances, in your social settings, in your social classes. Because what's motivating you is your heart. What motivates your heart? Is it the call of Christ? Is it the material world? James goes on to say, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, what should you do? You should love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're able to do that, then you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing a sin and are, you con- and are convicting, convicted by the law as a transgressor. That's heavy, right? Who are your neighbors? It's easy to have neighbors that are similar to yourself, right? It's easy to have neighbors that are in a similar place of life as you, similar class structure as you, similar interests, similar lifestyle. It's easy to love those people. But who are your other neighbors? Who are your other neighbors? As a church, we actually lost two really great neighbors. We lost Tom and we lost Kevin during the pandemic. Both of them have passed away. But Tom and Kevin, they were homeless men in the street that came into our church frequently. Kevin comes in, has his coffee, has his, has his cookie, sits down for worship, and he usually leaves. Kevin deals with a lot of bipolar issues, a lot of schizophrenia. But we always welcomed him in. Do you show love to Kevin when he comes in? We had Tom, he sat across the street, constantly yelling at people. If you walk by him, he'll be, he'd yell at you. Same thing, Tom came in. He actually came in even during the week. He came to the church during the week. And he would ask for things, and if we could help, we helped. But are those your neighbors? Yes, they are. They're neighbors to Five Stones Church, so therefore you're, if you, 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 you claim to be part of Five Stones, then you're their neighbor. How are you treating these people? How do you see these people? And what is God saying to you in this, these moments? James can't help but remind us that this is, that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of love. That there are two principles of the kingdom of God. First is to love God above all else, right? 
What's the second thing? To love your neighbor as yourself. That's exactly what prejudice doesn't do. Who here in this room has not been hurt by some kind of rejection? Who here has not somehow, some way felt the pain of being an outcast? It says, love your neighbor as yourself. More than constructing a life that is comfortable where you are around people that make you feel special and make you feel comfortable, the gospel calls us to a dangerous and vulnerable life where you move out into places that are not comfortable with you, to people that are not comfortable for you, in situations that are not comfortable for you for the sake of incarnating the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or would you rather be comfortable? Have a predictable life with predictable people, a close circle of accepted friends that tell you all the things that you want to hear about you because they're exactly like you. I met up with a young man a couple of months ago that is fairly new to our church, and he told me how he sold everything and moved to East Vancouver. And he just wanted to figure out what God was calling calling his life to. I was so touched by that because it was just this radical lifestyle and it was what I was drawn to even as as a young man. Sell all your worldly possessions, live on the minimal, go serve the poor, live with the poor. That's what I wanted to do. And so I was hearing his story and hearing what he did and I was just like, man, I wish I could go back to that place and now I have a family, I have two kids, I I have to pay rent, I have to do all these things and I have to live according to this way, but sometimes I feel like, man, I just want to be radical again. I want to be able to do something that is so outside of what the norm is, to be like, I want to live this way because Jesus Christ called me to live this way. I want to be just uncomfortable because of the fact that Jesus calls us to love our neighbor. But James isn't done. We sort of wish that James was done here because what he's saying is already so hard. But he says this, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and you're convicted by law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point, become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. But if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Here, the next thing that James would alert us to is prejudice, partiality is propelled by self-serving selective, ethic, selective ethics of our own ability to prioritize one of God's law as we forget and neglect the other. So the proud man, in forgetting his own pride, looks critically upon the materialistic man. And the materialistic man criticizes the bad theology of the poor theological rather than understanding that I cannot be selective with God's law. You cannot choose and pick. We live in this culture where the church says, if you do these things right, if you don't do this one thing wrong, that's, you do this one thing wrong, that's, that's okay. We live under grace. Yes, we do live under grace. But James is very clear here that if you break one law, you've broken all of them. So if you show partiality, you've broken all of them. It doesn't matter that you didn't murder, that you didn't commit adultery, that you didn't do any of those things. That if you have lied, you've cheated, you've stolen, 
that you've already broken all of the laws. That you're not free from, from, from being a transgressor. That the person that murdered and the person that committed adultery is no greater sinner than the, if you just told a white lie. There is no graduating of sin. Sin is sin, period. You sin, you're a transgressor. That's what God's message is. Partiality is part of that. Why? Because partiality is self-serving. It's about our own interests, about our own desires, and about what we prefer. That's what partiality is. It doesn't serve God in any way. He calls me to submit myself to all of it, all of his laws. And prejudice is not a little thing. My prejudice reveals my disloyalty to my God and my own desires to set my own standards and make my own rules. Prejudice reveals my lack of submission to the law of the Lord. And James ends with these words. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to all to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You see, prejudice forgets the grace and mercy economy of the gospel. God has called us to a life of glorious liberty and freedom. It's the freedom of his grace. It's a liberty where you are freed from your bondage to all of those divisive distinctions to destroy human community and human relationships. One of the things I want to address is the division within the church. We see so much division within the church right now. Whether it's denominational divisions or whether it's, it's, it's theological divisions. At the end of the day, God has one church Let me repeat that again. God has one church. Whether you agree with the other, what the other church is doing or not does not make them any, any less of a church. And I don't want you guys to have any prejudice against a church that you may not agree with. Okay? Just because theologically they may not see things the same way that we see things as five stones, it's easy for us to speak within five stones and say, oh, everything that we speak on is agreeable. We agree in the same theology. We agree on the same, same thoughts and patterns and, and methods that we actually tackle church with. That church down the street, they may not do things the same way. But guess what? That church is also part of who you are. There is so much division within the church and I believe the enemy is using the division in the church to scatter the church so that we don't have power. Do you agree with that? That the enemy is taking away the power of the church by dividing all of us. And yes, you may not agree with somebody else's theology, but love them. You may not agree with how they see scripture, but at the end of the day, 
you're going to come before the same Lord and the same Jesus Christ that saved both of you. And guess what? You're both going to have the same access to the same Lord. So let's stop being so divisive within our own community. The church is very dangerous in that place because of the fact that we, we're divided within ourselves. Right? I see that my, in my own spirit. When the convoy happened, and I saw so many of my Christian brothers and sisters supporting this convoy of freedom, know where I stand politically. I did not agree with the convoy. Okay? Why do I not agree with the convoy? I, agree, I didn't agree with the convoy because it is, to me, I see it as this immature aspect of self-serving, of we're looking for this freedom. You live in freedom because of Jesus Christ. You don't live in freedom because of the laws that Canada dictates on you. You live in freedom because Jesus made you free. Right? It's not about the laws that rule over the land. People that live in communist countries, they have freedom because of Jesus. Not because of what the, land, the law of the land says. So when the convoy happened, I was just like, nope, no convoy. This is a false rhetoric that we're preaching out that we're, is, is against our faith. No, that's, that's completely wrong. Our faith gives us freedom above all of those things. This is my rant. <laughs> Sorry you had to listen to that. You may not agree with me, and I would love to talk to you if you don't agree with me. But freedom belongs to Jesus. Freedom comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. That's it. Period. Sorry. <laughs> we live in a place that James wants to remind us that our identity is no longer that we are children of judgment. That our identity is that we are children of mercy. Mercy in every life of every believer is triumph over judgment. Should that not be what rules our life? You're probably sitting there saying, well, John, this is hard. This is not an encouraging message. Well, I want to remind you of what I've said. And what I love so much about the gospel, what I love so much about scripture, and how shockingly honest the Bible is, I love that James is just as honest with us. I love that James wants us to look in the mirror of the word of God and see the true condition of our own hearts. So let's be honest. We're not free from favoritism. We're not free of partiality. We're not free from prejudice. It still lives in our hearts. And it gets in the way of the work of God and gets in the way of what we are called to do to represent him as ambassadors in the city which he has placed us in. We're not always a community of love. We're not always a community of grace. We're not always kind or compassionate or patient. But this gospel that is just this honest is also the gospel of hope. The Lord of glory left glory, and he was willing to subjugate himself to all kinds of rejection. He was willing to be mocked, to be despised, he was willing to face gross injustice and he was willing to die as an innocent man. And he was willing to even have his father turn his back on him. 
he was willing to do all that for people like you and me so that we would have the forgiveness and the power of the deliverance to deal with the things that the gospel would reveal in our hearts. You cannot believe the gospel and be afraid to look at yourself honestly. Let me repeat that. You cannot believe in this gospel and be afraid to look at yourself honestly. The gospel welcomes you to honesty, but it welcomes you to hope. Because it says, Emmanuel, God is with us. Emmanuel, God has made you the place where he lives. There's hope. There's hope for us that we could become in every way this remarkable community of love, a remarkable community of grace and compassion and sympathy and kindness and a group of people who represents the Lord, the group of people that represents his love and the group of people that God is going to use to transform the city. As much as our world is divided, God unites us and God helps us. Let's pray. Father God, James puts before us hard words to consider. Hard things to think about. But God, give us humility in this moment. Open our eyes and open our hearts to be willing to look at ourselves in the mirror of your word. Let us have confidence in your grace, to rest in your love, to have security in your mercy, that we would pray that you would transform us so that we can be tools in your hand. So Father God, we love you. We live a life that brings you glory. We give you all praise and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow. Um, that was a really challenging message uh, for Pastor John, uh, for all of us to, to really examine ourselves in this message of James chapter 2, that looking at partiality. You know, we, we, we live in a multicultural society here in Vancouver, here in BC, here in Canada. We're in a Five Stones church who made up of people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities. But it's still a challenging thing, as John shared. Uh, when, when we heard the message of not to look at people at face value, not look at people based on their background or their, their race or, or where they're at, their ancestry and so forth. It's easy for, for even me to say, oh, I'm not like that. I don't do that. And it's not me. But as John started peeling the layers off and looking at all the different examples, it really causes us to examine ourselves and say, yeah, maybe there is some, that, some of that in us, Lord. And, and that's what it says here in the message, that we break one of the, the law. We break all the law. So this is a message here for, for all of us to, to really examine ourselves, to find that, that part of us that needs to be sanctified, to remove that, 
that lens that we look at life and look at people based on what they appear and look at them from our hearts and look into their hearts. And that's how Jesus looked at people. That's how he examined people. And in, in Matthew 5, he, he says that, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And he is also says that um, in, uh, in the same, in verse 10, it says that, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because there are the kingdoms of heaven. So Jesus does not look at people based on the background, the race, or the affluence, but he looks at them at the heart. And we thank John for sharing this very difficult message that maybe in a way make us uncomfortable because we need to be sanctified in the blood of Jesus. Father, we just thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for your message that teaches us to, to respect your, your royal law, Lord, the, your perfect law that brings life, Lord, that we don't look at people based on the face value, that we don't look at people just by their appearance, Lord, but we listen to the heart, Lord. Father, we thank you for the message that you bring to us through the book of James. We know that it's going to cause unease and uncomfortableness in ourselves, Lord. But Father, we ask you to let your Holy Spirit to speak life into us, Lord, to see anything that is unclean in, within us, Lord, and bring us that sanctification, that we can walk closer to you, that we see your royal law, Lord. Father, we, we ask you to give us the, your life, Lord, and give us your mercy as you have shown us mercy, Lord, that we be merciful to those around us. Father, help us to walk closer to you, to walk in spirit, to walk without looking through our eyes, but looking through our hearts, Lord. That, Father, that we see people as truly for they are created in your perfect image and they are the people in created in you, Lord. That we value all people that they are created in the spirit of God. Thank you, Father, Lord. Thank you for reminding us that we, we are living in your grace, Lord, that you love us as we are in perfect as we are that you bring us to a life in you lord so father let us bring life to people around us let us bring life to to our brother and sister in christ as well lord we praise you we thank you in jesus precious name amen amen